Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, covering the news to know for the week of February 17th. I have seven articles on tap. The first one, I think, is the most controversial. At least, it riles me up more than anything else. And that is an article out of Academic Medicine, the Journal of the Association of American Medical Colleges. Here's the title. Commercial Interest in Continuing Medical Education, Where Do Electronic Health Record Vendors Fit? So let's cover a few lines from the article. So the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, the ACCME, will not accredit an organization that it defines as a commercial interest. The decision is based on the concern that commercial interests may use CME events to market their products or services to physicians, who then might inappropriately prescribe or administer those products or services to patients. Studies have shown that CME events supported by pharmaceutical companies, for example, have influenced physician prescribing behaviors. The final summary, these actions can negatively influence patient safety and care. Thus, the authors of this perspective call on the ACCME to recognize EHR vendors as commercial interests and remove them from the list of accredited CME providers. So I'll give an example. There's well, a lot of examples out there of vendor-supported education, but Physician Builder class was one that I did, and I went to Epic and got CME credit for those classes. To say that there was a commercial bias to them, well, yes, it was 100% about Epic. The, the whole time we were learning about Epic functionality and how to improve that functionality as a physician builder. But was there any economic consequences possible? And that's where I disagree with the authors. Absolutely none. We had already invested in Epic. I was there to help survive and help my colleagues survive and learn more and make it better. It was nothing to do with purchasing decisions. And particularly if you have an enterprise license, let's say another opportunity for CME is at the user group meeting that each EHR vendor probably holds, and you go out there and you see other organizations doing things with the EMR that they consider best practice and showing it off. And you go and learn and get CME credit for that and bring that back to your organization. Fantastic. You're making it better. You, If you have an enterprise license, you already have the software that you just haven't activated or turned on. Or is this making a decision that could influence your organization, I guess that's possible, but you would want an integrated experience. This is the right thing to do if you have an enterprise license. Yes, you could go out and buy a third-party product, and that does make sense in certain instances, but if your EMR vendor provides the tool, most of the time it makes a lot of sense. Because of the integration, it just is easier to do things when it's all within one EMR. So. The authors make a connection to the pharmaceutical industry, and I completely agree with them that the pharmaceutical industry definitely had an influence, probably still does, over physicians through their marketing campaigns and the programs that they used to have in the old days. 
that if you wrote the most Z packs for the quarter, you got to go on the fancy trip. Well, those days are, are long gone. Absolutely, I could see how that could influence physician behavior and prescribing pattern. And in that scenario, they are taking me out fishing and educating me about their wonder drug. And then I can go home and I can write that drug. I can take out my pen in the old days or the keyboard today and make that drug purchasing decision. That's not how healthcare IT works. There are governance bodies. And physician input into these governance bodies tends to be limited. There are going to be non-physicians who are going to be involved in these decisions who may or may not also have attended the vendor's events, but certainly are not getting CME credit for it. This is a mistake. Doctors need whatever we can get in terms of incentives to get them engaged in EMR education. So if we can get a doctor who has a CME account to say, I'm going to go use that money to go educate myself more on this EMR, we want that. We do not want that to be taken away. So I think the authors are just they're incredibly brilliant people if you look at their credentials. And uh, I just think they're maybe a little bit removed from the realities of the purchasing methods of EHR software and hospitals and out in the community. Perhaps at large academic institutions, there may be a different way that this is done. I can't speak to that. But in the not-for-profit, but acting kind of like a for-profit institution, healthcare organizations don't just go out and say, okay, doctor, go buy whatever you want. Just go learn and bring it back and we'll do it. It just doesn't happen that way. So. I don't see the correlation between the education and the purchasing decision. That's my viewpoint. Interested to know what yours is on this. Write to me. Next, let's talk about this article on Healthcare IT News, written by Nathan Eddy on February 14th. It's how virtual health assistants are changing the care delivery equation. A couple lines from the article. Virtual health assistants and chatbots aim to improve the conversation between healthcare providers, payers, and patients. So let's do a couple lines from the article. Virtual health assistants and chatbots aim to improve the conversation between healthcare providers, payers, and patients, and put more information in the hands of the end users to help healthcare organizations improve processes and reduce costs. They're quoting, I believe this person has a Microsoft connection. The virtual assistant needs to be integrated to the organization's assets and extended to support its processes and needs while maintaining top privacy, security, and compliance standards to allow it to handle healthcare use cases and data. So let's just jump to some use cases. How would we use virtual assistants? So today, the use cases that are out there is the person sitting at home would say, hey, Google, or hey, Alexa, I need to know more about my medical condition. Tell me something about diabetes. Or tell me what this medication is used for. And that kind of stuff can happen today. What we can't do, or haven't seen it broadly, effectively being done, which is, hey, Google, I want an appointment with my doctor next Thursday. That scheduling piece is not widely available. Picture this scenario. Uh, here's the, the quote from the article. We also see use cases like assessment questionnaires and matching patients to potential clinical trials. 
I like the assessment questionnaire thought. My patient has said, hey, Google, I went to see my doctor, and Google or Alexa then says, sure, what do you want to see him for? And you say that you have a upper respiratory infection, a cold. And then Google then asks you a series of questions that could flow into the EMR and populate the history of present illness or the review of systems. I would love that. That would be phenomenal. And how about this one? If you came home as a patient and said to Alexa, I uh, just was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and then Alexa says, did you know that there's a clinical trial 20 miles from your home? Would you like me to contact your doctor and ask about it on your behalf? Well, that would be phenomenal. That blows my mind. I love that. So we're not there yet. Those are very exciting use cases. And I think some of the challenges that they're talking about here in the article is the ability to handle the unexpected responses and users don't always follow nice set scripts. And so when somebody needs the CAT scan to be done first, then they need their infusion done of chemotherapy, then they need to have their oncology appointment, and then they need to see their surgeon and scheduling and making all those things lined up. I think it can be done as complex, but the end user still would have to have a lot of forethought to navigate that process right now. Next, I want to talk about two cyber security related issues, mostly because these things always scare me. First one here is out of Becker's Wyoming Health System COO shares story of the ransomware attack. This is written by Ms. Garrity, February 14th. After experiencing a ransomware attack in September 2019, Campbell County Health COO Colleen Heater stresses the importance of backups. At the Campbell County Chamber of Commerce monthly luncheon on February 11th, Ms. Heater detailed the ransomware attack on Gillette, Wyoming-based health system, which affected more than 1,500 servers and computers. She said hospital leaders and staff worked around the clock for weeks to ensure that patients were taken care of. So picture the situation that you're sitting in your hospital, and she's describing this is what happened to her, that someone from the IT department walks up and says, something is deeply wrong. And then within a few minutes, the employee determined that the hospital was under a ransomware attack and told Ms. Heater they need to shut the computer systems down. That's a tough decision that you're going to take everything offline, but uh, they clearly don't have a lot of choice in that scenario. She goes on to say that although clinicians were able to treat patients and take x-rays, they couldn't pull images or medical records. Instead, Campbell County Health reached out to nearby hospitals to see if they could take in critical patients. When looking back on the incident, Ms. Heater reminds executives to be vigilant of phishing emails and to always have backups. And even if you have a backup, you should check to see that they didn't attack the backup. Really interesting article to hear from someone who's been through it. Hope I never have to. Hope I'm never in that situation. But we all know it's going to happen. There's going to be another attack. It's going to be one of us. And as a CMIO, we don't get to take the day off because the EMR goes down. In fact, it's probably going to be one of the worst days of our career. Because you're dealing with the downtime system now. And I don't know in your health system how things work. We do some drills, but it's hard to capture everybody. They like to drill at night when downtimes are happening for other purposes. But what about the daytime shift? No one really likes to take down the EMR for two hours for a drill when the lab is hitting its peak 
of lab processing results. That's not going to give anybody the warm fuzzies. So there's not enough drills that probably happen. And then when we get into the downtime scenario, you're going to have physicians who say, I need to write orders. And you're going to go and print out your order sets. And if you haven't looked lately, print out your most used order set, probably your general admission order set, and see what it looks like. We recently did this. Ours was 63 pages long. And the reason is because we put a lot of fancy logic into our order set that says, if my patient in front of me has a penicillin allergy, please don't show me penicillin as an option for whatever it is that I'm treating. Now, when that logic happens in the background, in it's silent, you can't see it. But when you go to print it out in a downtime situation, you get a ton of duplicate information in these order sets and they become really unwielding. So take a look at that before the attack comes. The next article I thought was interesting. Ransomware attack at Kansas Medical Group may have exposed 17,000 patient files. Again, Ms. Garrity, Thursday, February 13th. And this was interesting because this is a Kansas, a central Kansas orthopedic group. And in November, they discovered that an unauthorized third party had deployed ransomware on its computers. While Central Kansas Orthopedic Group refused to pay the ransom demand, the group was able to restore its system from available backups. All medical records were properly restored. There is no evidence that patient data was removed from its system or that the data has been misused. I found this article interesting because it, they attacked a small community player. Most of the ransomware attacks that I hear about are coming from the larger hospital systems. And I guess that makes sense. It's more visible and it's going to catch more attention. There's more lives at stake. But the weak links out there, the ones that probably are getting hit more often and we don't hear about it, are the community offices. And you do need to be concerned about that as a CMIO. If a community office goes down, it has an impact on your hospital. I don't know what this orthopedic group did in terms of operations. Did they have to shut down for a day or two, reschedule some patients? That's going to have an impact on surgeries in your hospital. It's going to have an impact on the flow of information to get to the pre-op clinic. It definitely has an impact. So the weak link out there are the community practices. And right now, because of Stark laws, you can't just go and give them a chunk of money and say, beef up your security. There is a safe harbor provision being evaluated, I don't think it's passed through yet, that would allow the hospital to help shore up the security infrastructure of the community. And I think it's really needed. So just keep an eye out and listen in your community if you can to see if there's cyber attacks occurring out there. Sure, it's a smaller target, but it's probably a lot easier target than trying to get into your data center. Next article, also out of Becker's, Andrea Park, February 13th. And this one is retaining IT talent is tougher than ever. Software engineer pay is up across the US, the report finds. Few lines from the article. In an effort to compete with tech giants in Silicon Valley, employers elsewhere have increased salaries for software engineers, a new report finds, building even more competition for organizations looking to hire and retain IT talent outside of the major tech hubs. Average salaries for software engineers in the San Francisco Bay Area in 2019 rose approximately 6% from the previous year, up to 155000 to 165000 This was the Wall Street Journal report, and it was citing a Hired.com report. 
Outside of Silicon Valley, however, those roles are seeing even larger growth. On top of rising salaries for software engineers, the spread across the country will undoubtedly make it even more difficult for smaller and less tech-oriented organizations to attract top talent, including in healthcare, where IT teams have become increasingly crucial for success and sustainability. So I bring this up because the CMIOs, if you have the application teams reporting to you, then you feel this all the time. And even if you don't, you want to have top talent in those application teams. And all software engineers know and analysts know that they could go to Wall Street with their skill set and earn three times as much as they're earning right now. Fortunately, most of them have a passion and desire to be in healthcare to make a difference for patients. Our job as a CMIO is to help keep them connected. So if these people are sitting in Cubicleville down in the basement of your organization or in a bunker across the street that's not even connected to the patient care, bring them over. Invite them to come on walking rounds with you. Invite them to listen to the stories of the providers as they talk about the challenges that they're having and really get into some of the clinical scenarios because that's why they went into this. They want to feel connected to the teams. And so that's something as CMIOs that we can do and help us with the ability to recruit and retain because we're not going to be able to match Silicon Valley unless you're in a major metropolitan market and have boatloads of cash in your organization, and there are some out there that do, great, you probably could compete with Google and Apple if you wanted to. For most of us in community hospitals, there's no chance that we're going to spend that kind of money on top talent. And you're usually looking for more local talent to try to help develop. And hopefully they don't get stolen away. So that's where you need to be really good to these analysts and help them grow in their careers. Last article, this one is about a merger, Bonsecor Mercy and, excuse me, Bonsecor and Mercy, their merger from September of 2018. The title here, this is also out of Becker's, Bonsecor Mercy Health CIO champions best idea wins throughout the merger. When Marriott'sville, Maryland-based Bonsecor Health System and Cincinnati-based Mercy Health finalized their merger in September of 2018. The philosophy was never for one system to take over the other. Rather, leadership, including CIO of the combined Montsecor Mercy Health, Lacey Wilson Carlson, worked to merge the best practices of each system. So the name of the CIO is, I'm sure I said that along, Lacey Williams Carlson. Fortunately, the two systems were both using Epic, making it an easier transition. As a result of her team's relentless hard work, in the first year, her team was able to reduce 10% of the total IT costs, and this year, she plans to reduce another 5%. I'll read another paragraph in a second, but why I thought this was interesting is if many of us are involved with merger and acquisitions, it's almost inevitable in most healthcare organizations these days. And I guarantee you, your top executives are looking for savings. There's a reason why they're doing the merger. One is to get bigger to give them more purchasing power, but the other is they see the potential, particularly in the support services, HR, finance, IT. How can we combine resources and not have to keep all of them as you go through this merger? Can we repurpose people? So as a CMIO, you want to be looking for those opportunities so that you can be at the table and help with strategic decisions 
around where you think the organization has synergies and where there's just two competing uh, entities in the merger where really one should win out and the other one should go away. So they, uh, they talk about trying to avoid the Noah's Ark model, which is where you have two of everything. And that makes a lot of sense that you want to avoid that. You really want to pick the best of breed and try to streamline and standardize across the organizations if you can. Here's another paragraph. One challenge which turned out to be a success in the end was deciding that the information and technology department would manage as a capacity-based model. Ms. Williams-Carlson had to acknowledge that not all 55,000 associates could have an equal vote on what EHR enhancements the health system would adopt. Here's a quote. There has to be some sort of top-down structure where we're making sure what we're focused on is what is driving the organization forward to meet the strategic plan. With that notion of a capacity-based model, we knew that we would have to make tough decisions. We would say no to a lot of requests, but also yes to the ones that mattered. This kind of goes to speak to the first article that we talked about, how decisions are made in large healthcare companies. And they do tend to be top down. And that is because she is right, the CIO. You cannot get the opinion of all 55,000 people in that organization. And if you had a physician that went to the EHR vendor, in this case, Epic, and got CME training on the EHR, they would have absolutely no influence on that process. I just don't see it happening. And somehow I got back on that topic again. But let's wrap it up. That's our show for today. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or cmiopodcast at gmail.com. Go to the website at cmiopodcast.com and reach out to me through that. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.